This week on the podcast, we talk about the logic behind information architecture for your organization. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Samantha Raditz, the founder of Logic Department, a information architecture consultancy, which I'll let Samantha explain what it is. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much, George. Let's just start with Logic Department, which first off, I feel like every organization needs a Logic Department because it <laughs> just sounds awesome. A lot of things get sorted out, but you're actually sorting out something called information architecture. And so let's just jump right into that and then dial back to what a logic department does. Sure. So information architecture at its most basic form is organizing the pieces of something to make it understandable. So that can look like the organization of the items in your grocery store and the aisles that they live on. But for our sake and for our purposes, it's really about the organization of the content on your website and what you call those things so people can find what they want to find. And to back out from that, uh, can you explain a little bit about what Logic Department actually does? Yeah, so we're a consultancy, as you said, that helps organizations make digital content findable for their users, and that could be their employees, their customers, or their website visitors. And we use three tactics for that. Uh, we use internal alignment. We really want to make sure that everyone internally is heard. We do user research, and then we use information architecture to bring it all together. Awesome. So let's dial into information architecture, or IA, as it's colloquially known, I think, uh, when you're throwing the term around. Uh, what are the actual steps? So I've got a website. Uh, what does the information architecture of that look like? So it's often the navigation. That's kind of the main element that involves information architecture. There's also filters and the way people dial down information. So if you have a blog, the filters they use there. If you had a online store, the things that you use to narrow down that content. And then it also goes down to what the page layout looks like. What's the order of information that you're taking in? And what's kind of most important to the people that are coming to your site to least important? And, and what order do they need to take that in? In all practicality, as I'm going through maybe building my site or redesigning my site, one of the things that will come up is the IA process. Uh, and mm -hmm. Can you talk about, like, literally, like, am I writing on Post-it notes? Do you've got some sort of, you know, color scheme, dashboardy thing I play with? <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of uh, our work starts with the users. So we will actually talk to the people that are using your website or your target audience, and we will find out what they're looking for how they describe things and we do that through the form of user interviews and really just get in deep with their knowledge and how they think about things and how that applies to what you're offering and then we take that a step further to often a site map is the kind of artifact that we create to express that to the internal team that's going to need to use it and we can also do testing of that as well so there's some more numbers-based quantitative ways that we can check those assumptions and things that we've learned through something called card sorting which allows us to take all of the content of a website so say that you have your about page and a lot of maybe you have content on your offerings as an organization or things that you'd like your potential donors to learn about you 
put those onto cards and ask your actual audiences to sort them and to see how they put those things together and what they call them. And that shows us what ways we can put them together to make sure they're really successful and confident in finding the information they're looking for. And at the end, we can actually do what's called a tree test to extra, extra validate that. And that just takes strips away all the design and really is focusing on a sitemap specifically and a website and saying, okay, if someone's coming here to donate to your organization and that's the task you want them to complete, how quickly can they do that through your navigation? How successfully can they find that piece of information without kind of meandering around your website or stumbling onto content that isn't really the thing that they need to be looking for at that moment to complete that task. And that actually provides some success statistics that we can look at to make sure that we're accomplishing both your business goals and the goals of your users. So what is the upside of going through this process? Why not just sort of do a best guess? I know my audience pretty well. Or look, I, I looked around the office. We've got three types of things. We've got products, we've got programs, and we've got resources. Just put that on the site. What is the upside uh, of doing this, and what are some of the measures of that? So I'd say the biggest upside is that we're all a bit close to our work. Uh, if you're internal to an organization, you really get down and dirty with it, right? You're really looking at it every day. You have internal nomenclature, words that you're using that maybe aren't the same words that someone that hasn't interacted with your service or organization before would know or identify as what they're looking for. And there's also what we like to call the curse of knowledge. So you just know a lot of things and can suddenly assume a lot about what other people know and not really be able to separate yourself and put yourself in the shoes of the people that are looking at your website or reading your content. So it's really helped to get some, it helps to get some empathy and some context into how and when people are looking for this information. We've worked with organizations that have some pretty sensitive information, uh, things like suicide prevention information uh, and other things along those lines. And you want to make sure that you're really considering kind of what's the, the state or the point that people are coming into this, which is very different than how you're interacting with it internal to your company or organization. And so if I'm wondering, I'm sitting here being like, well, I might have the curse of knowledge that new people may not understand that I'm calling this section programs, yet it has, you know, non-program related elements in it. Uh, what are some of the things that I might see on my site with regard to either analytics or anecdotal pieces that suggest I may have a problem? So it's often things that you hear from people that have maybe visited your site for the first time or even someone that's joined your organization recently. They tend to not have that knowledge base as deeply yet and be able to be a little bit more objective and say, hey, I've noticed that I can't really find anything on, on your website. I'm wondering if other people have that problem. In terms of analytics, it often looks like uh, high bounce rates or short times on pages, which is really dependent on the type of website and the type of content. Of course, if you're an informational website and you want people to come in and find what they want specifically and they're leaving quickly, but they're satisfied with what they found, that, that might still be a big success for you. So depending on the type of content, really looking at the analytics and saying, okay, is this what the response we're wanting from visitors to our website? Are we are they looking for other types of pages on the website? Are we wanting them to explore and kind of seeing where or where they aren't getting to information uh, that both you would like them to get to and that they're needing? I'm really glad you also brought up things like bounce rate, exit rate, and looking at the Google Analytics because sometimes we'll have that call from a board member saying, 
Well, I can't find on your youth site where I, you know, find my after-school activities. Because back in my day, they were called shenanigans, and I can't find the shenanigans section. How do we take care of this issue of N of 1? Meaning, there's one person with one complaint, and that is their sample size. Echoing to, we should change this menu uh, one way or the other. So we just get proof through those user interviews and through those card sorts and tree tests, which are really conducted with your target users or your main users and not necessarily the one person on the board that brings that up. And we, of course, want to listen to the board and hear their concerns as well. But at the end of the day, the reason you're putting this content out there is to help someone. I mean, everyone that we're working with has a specific mission, and we want to make sure that mission is clearly understood and successful. And a lot of that can be through the web. Website. So really taking into account multiple voices, multiple user types. Uh, some people have varying degrees. Maybe it's uh, students and parents that you're wanting to get eyes on your website, or maybe not. It, it just really depends on your organization. But we talk to at least five people from each of those groups and really make sure that we hear from across the board. And as you design your information architecture, do you begin to look at search engine optimization and the words that the rest of the universe uses and not just your cadre of humans? We try to do a mix of both. Our focus really is on your specific unique user in our work. And of course, we don't want to diminish SEO by any means. We're not trying to lose your SEO juice, so to speak, by making changes. But we've really seen that if the terms that we find your users are looking for on your website are also very likely to be what they're searching online. So they can really tie together very well and very clearly. How do you have the conversation with this hypothetical, definitely has not been brought to my attention literally in the last two weeks by somebody, <laughs> hypothetical scenario. You're at an organization and the hippo, the highest paid person in the organization, wants certain topics and navigation elements called exactly what they want them called because they know best. How do you broach that particular organization uh, when you feel like they need to shift? Yeah, it, and that is something we hear, and you know, I'd like to say less frequently than we do. But I would say to that, it's really including that person throughout the process and letting them see both the pros and cons of doing things that way. So we always start our process by including all of the internal stakeholders, any team members that need a voice in this decision making and make sure that we hear what their priorities are and what their hopes are for the changes. And then we either confirm or deny their assumptions about what people are doing or what how people are understanding their content through that user research. So we definitely take it into consideration. And then we try to say, yes, you're right, actually, that is a, def a great way to do that. We should put that into place. But maybe these other couple things that you said didn't resonate quite as well. And here's some quotes from your actual audience saying what how they would call it or what they find confusing about that. So I want to move on to now, you've mentioned a couple times, user testing. Uh, for those of us who don't have a budget to hire, you know, someone else to come in. Like, what is your, like, on a dime? Like, how do you just, literally, what does it look like? Am I just inviting some people over, buying a couple pizzas, and saying, like, use this computer and tell me what's up? Like, how do you design this? 
Yeah, so I'd say at the kind of lowest, the MVP level of this, the thing you could do first is to just get one person to come in and or even to do remotely. We do a lot of national remote user testing where we can actually share our screen with people. And the goal is to just watch them use the tool, see how they interact with it. If they're existing people, if they're existing users that come to your site already, uh, then you can ask them about a time that they recently came and have them walk you through what they were exploring and what their thought process was. So it's really very observational, very contextual, and just trying to get a lot of understanding about what they're looking for, how they think about it. And then you can make adjustments based on their feedback and what, what they notice or don't notice in your content. Yeah, you've, uh, you've never quite experienced frustration until you watch somebody try to find a button that is blatantly obvious to you, but then they're like, where's the save button? You're like, you fool, yeah. it's yeah. right there. Yeah, we always invite our clients to sit in on those sessions so they are observers only, but it's amazing the immediate response we get from them when they see, oh my gosh, why didn't they see the thing that right at, that's right at the top of the page? And it's like, well, they were expecting it at the bottom, and that's just how it is. So just getting those even slight insights into how people are interacting can be a really, really big change. I'm curious, what are some of the trends you see in you know user design and, and, and current places of where the web is moving, obviously mobile web, uh, but what are, what are some of the macro trends you see? So I would say that things like mobile use are, you know, we all know that by now, and most people have been able to make that shift to responsive web pretty seamlessly, which is great to see, and we have all the statistics to show that's needed now. I would say that the next big thing is more strategy. So now that people have a lot of content online, We've all had the internet for quite a while now as organizations and as individuals. Now it's kind of wrangling all of the stuff that we've created. And so that's what we've been hearing a lot is uh, from organizations who might have over 100,000 web pages that they've created. And they're just trying to figure out the best way to put those all together. And I, I think that's something that people are starting to tackle and realize now and asking for the tools to be able to do that, whether by themselves or with outside help. Yeah, I want to agree, you know, and I, I think it's fascinating as we talk about information architecture and the, the nature of speech-driven search and discovery. Uh, I think organization is going to play more and more uh, a crucial role in how we, uh, you know, conceptually navigate uh, bodies of work and, and resources that organizations put out there. Yeah, definitely. We've been hearing a lot about voice AI uh, in our field extensively at this point. There's even been some discussion of is AI going to put information architecture, architects and taxonomists out of business, which to which I say no, because someone has to train those computers and tell the machine that's learning what what to start with, at least. And there's always things that we need to catch and things that we need to look out for and the way that humans adjust over time and how we even talk about things is just constantly shifting. So I think we've got plenty of work in the future. You mean the robots aren't going to take our jobs tomorrow? Not tomorrow. <laughs> Alexa, when will the robots take our jobs? I wish she could answer that. That would be great. Oh, I think uh, I don't think we're far off. She's such a know-it-all. Um, I hope I just set off somebody's Alexa just now. <laughs> Probably. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and move into the lightning round. Uh, please keep your answers uh, brief and wildly entertaining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, what is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? 
We just started using LastPass, which is embarrassing since we've been around for four years, but it's changed how we keep track of our passwords and share all of that information much more securely now. What are some of the tech dragons you need to slay in the coming year? So the tech dragon we need to slay, I would say, is processes and how all of the digital tools we have interact with each other. We use everything from Google Drive to Slack and to Sketch, which is an application we use for wireframing files. And we just need all of those things to talk to each other. And it takes up a lot more of my time than I'd prefer. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that now shapes the way you do things today. So I think a mistake that I made pretty frequently early on was asking a lot of advice from a lot of different people. And I got some various advice about the path that my career should take when I started and when I had just finished graduate school. And luckily, I ignored most all of it. But I think I spent a lot of energy and personal angst on figuring that out. What advice would you give to college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say to go with your gut on it. I think there's so many different areas that it can be really overwhelming to try to decide what you want to tackle. But the thing that you're really the most interested and passionate about will definitely be the right decision. If you had a hot tub time machine and could go back to the day you started the company, what advice would you give yourself? Hire a CFO immediately. Uh, I have just started engaging with a freelance CFO for our organization to help wrangle all of our finances and how we track that, and I wish I had done that years ago. What is coming up in the next year that has you the most excited? We have been targeting environmental organizations recently, and we're really, really excited to work with them. I think that we have a really passionate team about that, and I think it's going to be super fun. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I would love for them to if the thing that they're trying to tackle is solved, or at least for them to pivot into some other area when they've really nailed it and gotten rid of whatever area they're tackling. What is something you think your organization should stop doing? I think asking for permission. We have a lot of second guessing in our team and we are always trying to make the exact right decision. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to go for it and see what happens. And I love to keep doing that. How did you get started uh, in your career journey in the social impact space? So it was actually a little bit on accident. I had an information science degree and had gone to graduate school. So I started working a lot with educational institutions and from there spread our work into the nonprofit sector, into more advocacy groups and just kept going from there. If you had a Harry Potter style magical wand and could wave it across the industry, what would it do? It would clarify what user experience is. I think it's an argument and a uh, unclear term that has been happening a lot recently, at least in my industry. And we're all a little bit confused about exactly what it means. And I would love to just be on the same page. And finally, how do people find you? How do people help you? So you can find us at logicdepartment.com. Uh, and to help us, we would love if people could share what information architecture is with others. It's something that a lot of organizations need, but don't know what to call it or how to start solving it. So we want everyone to be a little bit more in the know about it. Tell others about us, of course. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media, which are both uh, linked to through logicdepartment.com. Do all the things. Thank all you, Samantha. Things. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge uh, and your time with us today. Thank you so much. If you've been listening for a while, I would like to ask that you check out 
our podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating or leave us a rating on any platform that you're listening to us on. Uh, It sadly helps more than you can possibly realize, which is why everybody always asks for them. And that's where I find myself right now. Please leave us a rating. Thanks. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at wholewhale. And thanks for joining us. I see you're still listening, so I will reward you with randomness. Uh, We've actually created a new product at Whole Whale called PolyTweets. It is an embeddable widget for your site that lets people enter their zip code, find their representative, and then select one of the tweets that you've pre-created to then push out to their audience. Uh, So it's an easy way to do a little bit of sort of awareness building, and it's kind of crazy, but as few as 30 tweets can get the attention of an elected representative. Uh, So, you know, let's uh, let's start getting the right messages out to the right people. Politweets.org. This week, and frankly every week's, podcast music from the one and only gregthomasmusic.org. Greg Thomas is a great source of custom music. The guy's great. He also does podcast editing. We miss you, Greg.